Today, we have come to what is undoubtedly the most significant prophecy in the entire Bible. The graphic you're looking at now might be a little misleading, however, because we're not really going to be talking about the kingdoms that Daniel talks about also in his prophecies. We will be doing that eventually in this series on prophecy. But what we will be dealing with is perhaps, as I mentioned to you, the most significant and pivotal prophecy to be given in the Word of God. It's what is usually described as Daniel's 70 weeks. Daniel's 70 weeks. This awesome, magnificent prophecy is recorded in Daniel chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, I ask you to open your Bible and follow along. Get your pen and pencils because I hope you'll be making some notes. Now, we will be doing a Bible study. All right? So I want you to be ready to think. How many of you are ready to think? Very good. All right. No going to sleep. All right? I believe then that this particular chapter, chapter 9, is a seed plot for the entire Bible. It describes in minute detail God's plan for his people, and in particular, the Jewish people. And you have to keep that in mind as we go through this prophecy. Because sometimes we put the church into the midst of these things and you get all confused. This is primarily concerned with the Jewish people. And so guided by the text itself, we're going to do an inductive, methodical Bible study of this chapter. And especially verses 24 through 27. That's today and tonight and perhaps next week as well. And I hope you will see the reason for this approach as we dig deep into the treasure cove of God's word in this passage. As I said, as you look into the passage, I believe that what you will learn is going to blow your mind or it's going to bore you to death. It all depends on your interest in the word of God. It's going to blow your mind or it's going to bore you to death. Take your Bibles then. Let's go to the text. Daniel chapter 9. Let me give you an outline of the chapter. This is a good way of looking at it, making notes in your Bible. First we have Daniel's prayer in verses 1 through 19. Daniel's prayer, verses 1 through 19. Then we have Gabriel's visit. This is the angel Gabriel whom God sent in response to Daniel's prayer, as we'll see. These uh, the verses that cover this visit is verses 20 to 23. And then we come to the 70 weeks, verses 24 to 27. Four of the most vital, pivotal verses in the entire Bible. Now, of course, we won't be able to look at each verse in detail at this time. But the first verses of this chapter are vital to our understanding the chapter. So look at it carefully with me and look at your Bibles even as you look at the screen as well. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ha-Asurus of Median descent was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books 
the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. Why? For the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 77s. This is, this is the verse that the English would like to say. It's pregnant with meaning. So much truth to give birth to here in this passage. I've entitled this verse, Daniel, or this passage, Daniel in the student's den. Daniel in the student's den. By the way, this is the place where all of us who claim to be Christians should be when it comes to the Bible. In the den. Studying the word of God. Now, amazingly, from a human perspective, if Daniel had not been in the student's den at this time, we would not have this book to read. If Daniel was not studying his Bible at this time, we would not have this prophecy. You understand what I'm saying? And I want to emphasize that because one of the amazing truths that have come back to me over and over again as I go through the prophetic scriptures is the importance of studying the word of God and what happens when we don't. If Daniel had not written, or rather was in the student's den studying his word, the Bible, we wouldn't have this. Not only that, we'll see later on, we would not have had a reason for the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Because Jesus, as we're going to see, and I emphasized before, but I want to do it now, the reason why Jesus said that Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD was because the Pharisees did not know the time that Daniel wrote about here. And that was the reason for the destruction of Jerusalem. So some very vital historical events hang in the balance and depend upon Daniel studying the word of God. I think that's important. Now, notice the text says, look at your Bible. It says, I observed in the books. Now, how many of you have attended my class on uh, methodical Bible study methods? What is the first major step in inductive Bible study? Observation. What does the text say? Not what does it mean. What does it say? Notice what Daniel is doing. He was observing the books. What books? We'll see in a moment. But he is observing the text. He's seeing what it says. Notice what he observes. He says here, in the first year of the rise's rule. In the first, that's an observation. He's not even digging into the text yet. This is just an observation. The first year of Darius' rule. This was 539 B.C. And as we will see, this is an important, vital, historical marker to understanding what Daniel is writing about. And he observed it, that's all. He didn't need the Holy Spirit for that one. Uh-oh. You say I'm preaching heresy? No, no, no. That's just observing the text. That's all. Looking at what it says. Observed the text. 
Notice what he observed. The number of the years which was revealed as the word of God. The number of years as revealed what? As the word of God. Not as the word of man. Now this is where the Holy Spirit comes. This is what we need to understand. He was observing something anybody could observe. But they wouldn't understand that it's the word of God. That's the difference between knowing what the text says and knowing what the text means. Anyone could look and see what the text says, but it's only the Spirit of God enlightening us, illuminating us, that we could understand what it means. Do you understand what I'm saying? So one of the books, then, that he was studying was what book? The book of Jeremiah. Now, here is the chapter that he was looking at. Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 8 through 11. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because, that's a cause, a reason why, because you have not obeyed my words. This is the reason why whatever's going to be said now is said and what happened. You have not obeyed. You have not obeyed my word. Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. Isn't that amazing? He's calling a pagan king, one of the arch enemies of Israel, his servant. He's using them to chastise his people because they did not obey his word. And he's using an unsaved king, nation, to do it. And will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about. And I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. Now each one of these references have something to say. And really, if we were to dig into this, we should really explain each one. But of course, you want to go home. For lunch. The sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon for how long? Seventy years. And that's the word of the Lord. Now here's why the year of Darius' reign was so important to Daniel. He was reading the signs of the times. He was reading the signs of the times as he studied the word of God. And so he did his math. Jeremiah prophesied that God would use Babylon to chastise them for the disobedience by putting them under Nebuchadnezzar's bondage for 70 years. Daniel took these figures literally, not symbolically. We have a group of people, according to the hermeneutics, the way of understanding they try to spiritualize and symbolize everything. But here, Daniel took these numbers literally, not symbolically. So he did his math. God fulfilled his word in 605. This, when, this is when Nebuchadnezzar captured Israel. And he carted the people off to Babylon. Daniel knew. Why? Because he was one of them. And it happened in 605. That's a historical Fact. It was then 539 when he was in the den, the student's den, 
reading Jeremiah. So what did he do? He subtracted. And he came up with a figure. They were in captivity. Now, there's a little uh, tweaking you might have to do in figuring out. So you might be one year off or one or the other as we go through this. But he figured out there's either... They were in captivity for either 67 or 68 years when he was writing the book, when he was in the Daniels, when he was in the den. In other words, the 70 years was almost up. They were ready to go home. That's what Daniel realized. Their deliverance was at hand. They would be going home soon. And so Daniel got all of this from studying the word of God. He observed the text. He interpreted the text. He understood what it meant. And now he's going to apply it. Let me ask you a question. Suppose you were in jail. Sentenced to 70 years. And someone came to you and said, Now you might have forgotten, but listen, you're going to get out shortly. How would you respond to that? Jump up in the air, dance, do all kinds of things. But did Daniel do that? Look at the text. Notice what it says. Verse 3 of Daniel 9. So, as a result of what he had deducted from the word of God, so I gave my attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. This man is going into fast rather than rejoicing. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and your ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, the preachers, the teachers, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and fathers and all the people of the land. What is Daniel doing here? My friends, this is one of the most beautiful illustrations of what it means to study the Bible, to observe the text, interpret the text, and then to apply it, especially when it comes to prophetic truth. You see, when we talk about prophecy, all we want to come know what this mean, what that mean. There's a big accident over there, another big earthquake over here, another rainfall over here. We had hail here last night at Nassau. Boy, what does prophecy have to say about that? See, that's how we normally approach prophecy. God doesn't. He doesn't approach it that way. Daniel doesn't. It's God speaking to us. And he's speaking an important message. And he wants us to listen. Prophecy is designed by God to cause us to live a holy lifestyle in expectancy of his own return. Listen to the Apostle Peter who teaches the same truth. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, says Peter, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Notice now. 
But the days of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. I want you to notice now Peter is talking about the end times. In fact, he's talking about the very end of the end times. But now notice how he applies this truth in verse 11. Because, since, because what I've just said is going to happen. Because this will in fact take place. Because all these things are to be destroyed in this way. Notice now, what sort of people ought we to be? To be in what fashion? In holy, for you ought to be in holy conduct and godliness. Holy contact and godliness. And so if we go through a whole study of prophecy and all you do is have your ear tickled and trying to hook all of these little things up within the special event here, you're missing the whole idea of prophecy. What it should cause you to do is to live a holy lifestyle. Be drawn into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. How? Because you're looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now here is the kicker for all of that, the bottom line. Verse 14. Therefore, because all of this is true, what I've said, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent. To be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as your salvation. In other words, be thankful he hasn't come yet. Because you still have an opportunity to shape up. That's what he's saying. Be thankful he hasn't come yet. But notice he might come any time like a thief in the night. But he's waiting for you to get right with him. And he's speaking with Christians. It's not only the unbeliever who has to get right. It's the believer as well. And so he is applying prophetic truth to holiness of life. Because of the prophetic truth, Peter says, I've taught you, you should live a holy lifestyle. Now here are some points that I want to bring out for you. First of all, God expects for us to study his word. Especially prophetic scriptures. Now you say, I know that. Do you? Do you study the Bible? Do you have a method of Bible study? Just look at what Daniel would have missed if he wasn't studying the Bible. I wonder what is it that you're missing as a Christian because you're not studying the word of God. What is it? He wants to tell you about your life, about your family, about your job, about your ministry. What is it that you're missing? It's there, but you've missed it because you haven't studied in the student's den. God expects us to study his word. Secondly, he expects for us to apply what we learn to our daily life. That's what the scriptures are designed to do, to change our lives, not to tickle our fancy. Not to satisfy our curiosity, but to transform our life. That's what the word of God is for. Today, unfortunately, we have a good number of motivational speakers 
who build themselves as preachers. But very few teachers of the word of God. And you say, I'm being judgmental. No, factual. Observe what's happening around you. And see whether or not you're getting the kind of teaching that you should. Thirdly though, God will hold us responsible for what he has revealed to us in his prophetic word. He will hold us responsible. You remember last time I spoke to you, in fact I mentioned already, and I'm going to mention it again and again because it's such a powerful illustration. Remember what I said about Jesus and what he said was the reason for the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD? It wasn't for the rebellion, although I was involved. It wasn't for the ungodliness, although I was involved. You know it was what, what is, why it was? It was because they didn't know the portion of scripture. Or if they knew it, they didn't apply it. Let me read the text again. Because I want you to see that this is the word of God and not the word of man. Listen to what Jesus says. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And it happened exactly in this fact. Exactly. Notice now. Because. The reason why. The cause for it happening. Because. You did not recognize the time of your visitation. And in the context is the presentation of Jesus Christ as the king. As described by Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. Almost 500 years earlier. God says I'm going to destroy Jerusalem. Because the leaders Israel did not know. Or if you did. You rejected it. This is a powerful demonstration. Of this principle, God will hold us responsible for knowing the word of God. You will have no excuse and say, I did not know because it's in here. No excuse. None whatsoever. They should have known. But they didn't because they didn't know. Or if they did, they didn't care. This glorious and magnificent temple and all the city with two million or more of the citizens were killed. Why? Because they either misread, neglected to read or simply refused to study the Bible, the word of God. Now need I say anything more? Concerning the importance of your studying the word of God? God makes it clear. And we're going to see that repeated again and again. An important principle here. But let's go on now. To verse 24. He says, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish your transgression, to make an end to sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. I call this the scope of the prophecy. Just putting a title on it now. Giving an overview. Verse 25, so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the, it should be the king, 
Prince is not a good translation. Messiah the king, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. We can describe this verse as the 69 weeks. 69 weeks. Now verse 26. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince, notice it's not the prince himself. It's the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and its end will come with a flood. And even to the end there will be war, desolation are determined. I call this the interval, the interval between 69 and the final week. Now look at verse 27. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abomination will come on one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed, it will happen, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Speaking of what we call the Antichrist, the man of sin, and so on. I call this verse, verse 27, the 70th week. Here's how we could break out then for your books, for your Bible study if you want. Verse 24, the scope of division. Verse 25, the description of the first 69 weeks. Verse 26, an interval in the sequence of events. Verse 27, the seventh week and resumption of the sequence of events. It stops a while and then it picks up again. This morning, we're going to focus on verse 24, the scope of division. The scope of the vision. Look at the verse. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now what is it that we're reading here? Is this something I wrote last night? This is the word of God, isn't it? We should pay attention to the word of God, right? He's going to hold us responsible for what we hear and read this morning. Are you intimidated? You should be. Hmm. I know what you mean, Frank. I agree with you. But I want you to feel the weight of this. You understand what I'm saying? I want you to feel the weight of this. I'm not just up here. Actually, if I, if for my feelings, I would be home laying off and not my foot up in the air. Because I got pain right now. I'm not here because I just want to give you all something to laugh about and entertain. No, no. This is the word of God. And I believe I'm responsible. God has given me an obligation, a responsibility to teach and to preach his word. And I'm going to do that. You need to understand that you are responsible for what you hear and what you read when it comes to the word of God. I want that to be deeply impressed upon your soul today. Look at the text again then. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city. Let's make some observations. We're doing a Bible study. Now, 
See, when I do a Bible study, I look at the passage. First of all, I ask the questions, what don't I understand in the passage? I don't look for what I understand, but what I don't understand. And right away, I don't understand what a seven is. Seventy sevens. What is a seven? You understand something? I don't. So I will write down in my notepad, what is a seven? Do research to find out what a seven is. So that's the question I ask here. What is a seven? Seventy of them are mentioned. But then it goes on. These seventy sevens are decreed by God. Meaning that they have to happen. Nothing can stop it. It's a decree of God. It will happen. These are observations. Not only that, they are decreed upon the Jews. Your people, that's Daniel's people. He was a Jew. So he's talking to Jewish people. It's a decree against your temple. It isn't against a church building. It isn't against a Protestant church building. Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. It isn't against any church building. It's against the Jewish temple. Do you understand that? So we have to be careful how we put Christians in here. Otherwise you become thoroughly confused. Then they mention six specific events. We're going to be looking at these in detail later on. I'll look at them in a moment, but leave that for right now. Let's see if we can answer the first question that we asked. What is a seven? Now I'm trying to take you through a Bible study. So when you go to it yourself, you say, well, I know, because I've heard that before. Well, have you done the study yourself? Are you list listening to what we call, what do we call it, Patrice? Huh? Folk, yeah, what, say it again. Folk and tabloid theology. It's good to have somebody from the class. Thanks, Patrice. In other words, just stuff passed on. You hear it and you haven't examined it. You haven't examined it. Well, I'm going to help you to examine that this morning. What is a seven? Now, there are four possible answers to this question. It could mean a week of days. In other words, 70 times seven days. Or it could mean a week of weeks. 70 times seven weeks. It could mean a week of months. 70 times seven months. Or it could mean a week of years. In other words, 70 times seven years. It's like, you see, the Jewish people, when they heard that seven, they had an idea of what was talked about, but they still had to do a little closer scrutiny of it. Because what sevens was being referred to? A day, a week, a month, or a year? You know, it's like you and me, this might be a little different, but I says, I'm going to go away to Miami for a couple of days. Now, at a Bahamian, a couple doesn't necessarily mean two. It could mean three, four, it could mean two weeks. Isn't that right? So if you want to really know how long I'm going to be away, you better be more specific. So we have to be more specific. Jews would say, all right, you said seven sevens, but you mean Seven days, seven weeks, seven months, or seven years. So we have to look at to see what is being spoken about here. And take your Bible study so you could see how to do this. Let's look at the verse again. Daniel 9, verse 2. 
One of the books, as I mentioned, he was reading was the book of Jeremiah. I'm going to show you now why we believe Jesus, or rather Daniel, was referring to a week of years. This is what he says in verse 2. <clears throat> I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed in the word, as the word of the Lord, as Jeremiah, the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us along with the oath which was written in the law of Moses. Now notice, he was not then studying only the book of Jeremiah. What was he also studying? What was he studying? The law of Moses, the books written by Moses. Now which passage was he looking at? Let's go to Leviticus Chapter 25. This is what it says. Verse 1. So you see, he's looking at, he's studying not only one book, he was studying quite a number of books. The Lord then spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I will give you, notice now, then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard, gather in its crop, crop, crops. But during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest. A Sabbath to the Lord. A Sabbath to the Lord. That was the seventh year. You shall not sow your field, nor prune your vineyard. Your harvest after growth you shall not reap, and your grapes of untrimmed vines you shall not gather. The land shall have a sabbatical year. That's the passage that Daniel was studying along with Jeremiah. Therefore, we could say, the context of Daniel 9 is sabbatical years or sevens of years. A seven has to do with seven years. <coughs> In other words, Daniel is talking about what? A week of years. You understand what I'm saying? He's talking about a week of years. Now here's the confirmation of that. Second Chronicles chapter 36. What I'm trying to show you here is the preciseness of the word of God. That's what I'm trying to get at. This is just not boring stuff here. This is to see that God's word is precise. Every word, every word is important. Notice Second Chronicles. Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile to Babylon the remnant, and they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its sabbatic Sabbath rest. All the time of its desolation, it rested. All the times of its desolation, it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. In other words, it happened exactly the way God said it happened, and it happened in exactly the time that God said it would happen. So then, a seven is a week of years. This means that the scope of time being referred to here is 70 times seven, or 490 years. Now, six specific things are to be accomplished during this span of time. Each one, I'll just name and we pick up at a later time. 
First, he said, be the ending of man's rebellion against God. And secondly, uh, talks about the doing away with transgression, not merely the guilt of sin, but sin itself. Then it talks about the crucifixion of Christ. Then it talks about setting up the messianic kingdom, bringing to an end the final stage of human history. And then the dedication or the opening of the millennium kingdom. All of these things have to accomplish in this 490 years. We'll be talking about these later on. Now, look at verse 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It's broken up. It will be built again, Jerusalem, with plaza and moat. That's an important indication of when the decree is given. Even in times of distress. This is the 69 week of years. Notice this now. I want you to see the emphasis of a, of a specific sequence of times. Uh, what I'm trying to do here is to show you that the Bible that we have is a marvelous piece of wisdom that can never be matched in any other document or literature. That's what I'm trying to show you. And you can see the reason for that as we conclude. Notice now. So you are to know the desert, and to discern that from, notice that point, the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until, another ending point, Messiah the Prince, there will be, something will happen between these times, seven weeks and 62 weeks, it will be built again and so on. I want you to see a major characteristics of these prophecies. This sequence of events are important to the overall truthfulness and validity of the prophecy. In other words, Daniel is going to give historical markers that will be able to verify that the prophecies are true. Impossible to be duplicated, in other words, because of these historical markers. 69 weeks will transfer transpire beginning at a specific historical event and ending at another specific historical event. No other time, no other event. It has to be these two at these particular times. Remember now, Gabriel is prophesying through Daniel 500 or more years before these events occur. Now if you, you talk about putting yourself out on a limb, this is it by mentioning specific historical markers. Now, of course, when I say putting yourself out on a limb, that would be true of everyone else except God, and that's his point. Anybody else who tries to look 500 years ahead and give specific historical markers, putting themselves on a limb, except God. Now, this is such an important truth here, I want to pause to emphasize it. I want us to smell the flowers along the pathway of our studies, in other words. Because I want to show you that every little mention of things in the Word of God are important. And many of them we overlook. We look at time in a linear fashion. 
I'm sure that some of you in school would have asked, would have asked your teacher to come up and I want you to draw a straight line. Representing time. You begin here and you end here. Linear time. We live in time. We see time as being linear. Everything happens sequentially on a straight line. That is not true of God. You see, we as finite human beings can look back to the past. But we can't go back to the past. You understand what I'm saying? Now follow through. This is something about the nature of God here. Not just prophecy, but the nature of God. We can look back, but we can't go back. Now we could go ahead a little ways, but we can't look too far and be certain. True or false? True or false? In other words, we are bound by time. We are bound by mass or matter, speed, acceleration, gravity, or space. In other words, all of these material things bind us. But this is not true of God. Is God subject to matter or time or speed or space? Of course not. He's not. Listen carefully to this now. God is not one who has lots of time on his hands. We think of God like that. God does not have lots of time. In fact, God doesn't even, in one sense, know what time is. He is outside of the restrictions of time and all that are involved with time. In fact, the fact that he is outside of time, but yet can interact with, the, interact with us who are in time, is a special Authenticity, no, but of the way, is a special authentic mark that he alone is God and there's no one else but him. Let me try to explain that. The scripture tells us that he what? Inhabits eternity. That means he lives there. He dwells there. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabited eternity, whose name is holy, set apart, different from all. I dwell in the high and holy place. That's eternity. Eternity is a dimension outside of time. Follow me now. We're talking about the nature of God. It is the realm of this divine, the spiritual, if you want. It coexists with time as we know it, but is not subject by or limited to time. Are you following me? Are you following? We're talking about God. That's why it's going to come a little hard, a little difficult, but listen carefully. This is going to teach you something about the nature of God. God had the technology to create us. He therefore also must have the technology to communicate with those whom he created. He didn't create us in eternity. He created us in time. But he can communicate with us from eternity. Now the question is though, how can he communicate in such a way that we can know for sure without a doubt that it's a true God who's communicating to us? Because you know there's a lot of people out there claiming to be what? Claiming to be God. You know, remember Paul, we talked about it writing to the Thessalonians. He said, now, somebody wrote you a letter, 
or any other fashion, if somebody wrote you something different than what I taught you, even by another spirit, you know that's not true. We have people out there claiming to be God. All right. God who created us in time, although he lives in eternity, communicates to us. How can he do that in such a fashion that no one can doubt that it is he and he alone, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that is communicating to us? Prophecy is the answer. Prophecy is the answer. Prophecy is one of the greatest revelation, manifestation of the nature of God. And who he is. Look at Isaiah 46. Verse 9. He says. Remember the former things of old. For I am God. And there is none else. I am God. And there is none like me. What a claim. Declaring the end from the beginning. Do you see that? And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Only the true God can say that. But can he demonstrate it? Yes, he can. How can he prove what he says? By predicting things exactly and precisely in a way that it cannot be in any way, in any way, confused, any way mishandled. Only God can do that. He inhabits eternity. That's the reason why he could see the beginning from the end. Friends, listen to this now. Remember I said you had to think? Eternity is not just simply endless time, past and future. God does not live in endless time. He lives above and apart from time, although he communicates to us in time. Now, you like to watch Junkanoo. Well, for Christians, let me say something else. Uh, you like to watch parades, right? You find yourself a nice spot. Where you think you could see the parade. That parade passes by you. Right? But you cannot see the beginning of that, that, that parade or the ending of it. You can only see what's before you. But now suppose you hide the Goodyear blimp. And you went above the parade. And you look down. Then what happens? You see the beginning and the end. Why? Because you're above in a way, you have, in a sense, you have gone into another sphere or dimension. Right? You see, God doesn't have to hire the Goodyear blimp to be above the earth or to be above time. He lives in that sphere at all times. I see, even that's a foolish statement. He lives in that sphere of eternity, eternally. Here's a diagram, a simple one, but I help you to understand what I'm saying. Time is not linear to God. Time is like this. 
if it were in a sense. He sees the beginning, the present, the future, all at once at the same time. He sees the end from the beginning, and he can predict what will happen before it happens on a linear, earthly basis for us. Now look at this other diagram here when it comes to prophecy. Man, the prophets, when they were given a prophecy, they looked ahead. They could only see the mountain peaks of prophecy. They didn't see the valleys. That's why to them, the first and second coming seemed to be one and the same. And so on. Now, we can take a look on the side of it. We today who have the prophecies. And we can see it, but we still can't see it all at once. But God, who is above all, sees it all at one time. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is above time. He sees everything at once. All the time. This is why we can know with confidence that this Bible here is the Word of God. Listen to this now. It's going to sound like sci-fi, but listen to this. The Bible is God's communication to us from outer space. You understand what I'm saying? Scientists are always just listening for some sound or something for someone to communicate to them. They've missed it. We've already gotten it. Right here. And that's what we're supposed to be proclaiming every Lord's Day and every day. This is the word of God speaking to us from another dimension. From outer space. And he did it in a wonderful, miraculous way. He chose 40 men. Over a period of 2,000 years. And he caused those men to understand the message that he is sending from outer space. And to write it down. And we have it here. How do we know that God exists? Because this word tells us. And he is able to predict things right to the very minute moment. Before it happens. Only God. The true and living God can do that. That's what I want you to see. And get when we talk about prophecy. I don't want you to go and say, oh, man, all these little things are happening and therefore the Lord is coming. We ain't got to see those things. God says they're going to happen. They're going to happen. Second Peter, Peter says, we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's talking about the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Remember Peter, James, John, Moses, Elijah. They saw it. I had the experience, he says. And isn't it amazing how we like to talk about experience? I, it happened to me, so I don't care what you say. And notice what Peter says when it comes to prophecy. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. More sure than what? His eyewitness account. You see, I can see something, you can see the same thing, and we could record it differently. Right or wrong. But when it comes to prophecy, God says now, we have a sure, more sure word of prophecy. Whereinto you do well that you take heed. As the light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. Peter says that the message that he is talking about 
He's comparing the reliability of the apostles' experience of what they saw on the Mount of Transfiguration with the prophetic word. And he says, you know what? You can have more confidence in, the word, in this prophetic word than your own experience. It's viewed by you and others. Now, there's some who take a different view on that verse, but that's the way I read it in the text. I believe that Peter then is saying the prophetic word is certain, more certain or reliable than our own experiences. What am I saying to you? Here's what I'm saying. This is the bottom line of the whole point I want to make this morning. The true God has spoken to us through the prophetic scriptures. And he expects us to study them diligently in order to know what he will do on the earth and how we are to live as a result of that knowledge. Both our temporal and eternal destinies depend upon our doing so, studying the word, understanding and obeying it. Because God himself, the God of the universe, the creator of all things who lives outside of eternity, will hold us responsible for what he reveals in his word. That's the bottom line. So from this point, as Paul says, my hands are clean when it comes to this truth. It's now up to you on how you respond to the word of God. This evening, we, Lord willing, we will examine Daniel's 70 weeks close up. Now you thought this was close up? Come up tonight. We'll see it. But bow with me in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts for the offering and the closing. If God has spoken to you concerning the study of the word of God, reading of the word of God, make a commitment to him right now. Confess that you failed him, but ask him to help you now to be a diligent student of the word of God. We're here to help you along those lines. So be sure to let us know. Father, thank you for your word. Help us, we pray, to study it, to understand it, and to obey it. And all of God's people said, Amen.